Hey everybody, before this episode begins, I wanted to kind of forewarn you that this episode deals with mature themes. It deals with topics that I believe we really do need to talk about and talk about more. But at the same time, if there are small children that you really wouldn't want them hearing about adult matters, then I recommend you turn this episode off for them. And in some settings, it would be inappropriate to listen to this particular episode. I just wanted to let you know beforehand. Hey there, and welcome to another Coffee Break with Lance Phelps. Today, I'm going to be continuing my look at the same-sex controversy by James White. Today, we're going to be covering Chapter 8, All You Need Is Love and Other Justifications. So in this chapter, there's a various kind of a myriad of different objections to and justifications for homosexuality. And the objections to is not to homosexuality, but to the biblical case for homosexual or against homosexuality. So we're basically going to be covering this chapter and kind of bouncing around between the different arguments because it's kind of a plethora. But at the very end of the chapter, we're going to cover that in the next episode along with the conclusion because of the way these chapters kind of tie together. But nevertheless, we needed to address some of the flat out because these are the most common rejoinders or the common arguments that are made by those who are trying to justify homosexuality alongside a Bible. It's trying to say, well, this is a it's a, it's biblically okay to be homosexual and the many other justifications. But we're gonna go ahead and dive right in because that's pretty much what James White does. So here the first objection is that the words homosexual and homosexuality are not found in the Bible. Well, this is an interesting argument, but it falls flat because the it's while it's interesting that in some ways that's true, a direct translation from homosexual to the word homosexual is not found in the Bible. But that doesn't get it off the hook because the actual behavior is described in detail. And furthermore, the 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 Greek term um, the, to, to refer to male sex or male bed um, is, is clearly a reference to homosexuality, as we saw in the Romans 1, in the chapter on, on Romans 1. So we, we can't get out, get away from the notion that, yes, we use different terms nowadays, but that doesn't mean that the concept is not there. So this is the big thing. And this happens actually throughout interpretation on a regular basis, where people will say, oh, well, this word is not found anywhere in the Bible. But just because a word is not found in the Bible does not mean that the uh, the concept associated with the word is not also, is not there. It's the same with, like, say, the Trinity. The Trinity, of course, is a concept that is found throughout the Bible. But never once does the Bible itself use use a Greek equivalent word for Trinity. So direct translations do not indicate for or against something. We have to go in, we have to understand the concepts that are being conveyed first, and then we can understand the issue. And in the issue of homosexuality, the Bible condemns homosexuality. You really can't come away from the Bible when we really dive into what the original words meant that we're dealing with homosexuality and get away from the idea that it doesn't condemn the, the, the act of homosexuality. It describes it in detail. So now we're going to move on to the next objection, which is using the Bible to oppose homosexuality is a rather recent occurrence. Now this one is um, championed by Daniel Helmanaic and he says, well, I'm just going to go ahead and quote him here, taken on its own terms and in its own time, the Bible nowhere condemns homosexuality as we know it today. 
it should be considered outrageous for any educated person to quote the Bible to condemn homosexuality. A millennia ago, Western society was rather indifferent to homosexuality and even supportive of it. Later, and John Frame or John James White continues, later he offered these surprising comments, and then he quotes him again. Since the 12th century, this story regarding the destruction of Sodom has been commonly taken to condemn homosexuality. The word Sodom, Sodomite was taken to refer to someone who engages in anal sex, and the sin of Sodom was taken to be male homogenital acts. So supposedly God condemned and punished the citizens of Sodom and Sodomites for homogenital acts. So the issue then is, or his argument is, and this there are other people argue thusly, that homosexuality is, well, look, back in the day, they didn't really care, it was not that big of a deal, and the church was similarly, and, you know, they were kind of more strict on it, but nevertheless, uh, you know, culture as a whole didn't really care about homosexuality. So it's kind of a new thing, according to this guy, that it is that there's a, you know, a condemnation of homosexuality. Well, I will say this, there's, there there are some cultural, you know, some cultural currents in the millennia's past that didn't condemn homosexuality. Um, but nevertheless, we're not asking whether or not Western culture was okay or not okay with homosexuality. We're asking if the Bible is okay with homosexuality. And the question then needs to be asked, well, if, if we're if ultimately there's a standard and that standard is the Bible, it really doesn't matter whether or not the pagan culture accepted it or didn't accept it, well, regardless of what that truth is. So that's kind of a moot point nevertheless. But then the question must become, well, what about the early Christians? What did they say about it? Now, of course, we don't have to take everything they say as, you know, gold-plated, 100%. There was, they were wrong on some things. But it does give us a clue, it kind of helps us push us in the, in the right direction when we actually understand the nature of the early church and how they approached homosexuality. And it also flies in the face of the statements that this person is trying to make. So let's go ahead and dig in a little bit. We have a large contingent of different... Um, teachers of the Old Testament, or the, not the Old Testament, but of the, of the um, New Covenant Church of the early Christians, they were very vociferously against homosexuality. We have, uh, let, me, let me see if I can get this right, Athenagoras. <laughs> Athenagoras. In the second century, he had this to say, for those who have set up market for fornication and established infamous resorts for the young, for every kind of vile pleasure, who do not abstain even from males, males with males committing shocking abominations, outraging all the noblest and comeliest of bodies in all sorts of ways, so dishonoring the fair workmanship of God, for beauty on earth is not self-made, but sent hither by the hand of the will of God. These men, I say, revile us for the very things which they are conscious of themselves, and ascribe to their own gods, boasting of them as noble deeds and worthy of the gods. Now, it's, I really want to kind of make two side notes here. First off, this is a very early Christian who is just absolutely condemning homosexuality. It's males with males, very, very, you know, visceral language there. But the second thing I wanted to note was that look at the way that the culture is just falling in line with homosexuality, even 
ascribing it to the gods of their days. Now, what does that sound like? That is right. It sounds like today's culture. The god of our day, the god of individualism, hyper-individualism, that is. Individualism is not in and of itself when it's in its correct context is not bad, but hyper-individualism and even collectivism um, to the, you know, the, the communists uh, supporters out there, the Marxists out there. The collectivism is is the, the god of the day in certain cultures, and we see there's various different secular naturalists uh, out there that uh, basically sacrifice the this, their sexuality to the these specific idols, these gods, these philosophical systems. Well, it was no different back then. They did the same thing, and they had the same posture, a very similar posture, which is something interesting to note. But then we have Tertullian, who comes out strongly against him, and James, well, actually, I'm going to go ahead and quote Tertullian here. I'm going to quote it. He says, yes, and also in the fact of the first chapter of the epistle, he authenticates nature when he asserts that males, and by the way, he's referring to Romans 1, when he asserts that males and females changed among themselves the natural use of the creatures into that which is unnatural by way of penal retribution for their error. And then Origen spoke out against it. Cyprian spoke out against it. These are these are various different early church fathers, but they basically came out strongly against. And these are just a sampling of the different uh, church fathers that dealt with this in the early church writers. So to say that homosexuality was just not condemned or nowhere condemned is basically not doing your reading. It's just you don't understand the history. And that's that's problematic, but it is actually extremely common within the 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 revisionists. They're going to either kind of have a very pick and choosy kind of way of looking at it or they're just simply not going to do their reading. So nevertheless, we're going to go ahead and move on to the next objection and that is all you need is love. But this is consensual. We're not harming anyone. It's a very common refrain. It's like, well, wait a second. If this has, if this doesn't hurt anyone, then why, why are you so worried about it? Why are you so worked up? Well, there are two reasons that we would be, we would find this problematic. First and foremost, there is an absolute standard. That absolute standard is what adheres to the Word of God or to the will of God that is revealed within God's word. And the reason that that's important is because if you out if you go outside of that that absolute uh, you know revealed word of God, if you go outside of that, then you are deviating if you're going against something that it says is evil or if you're going if you're doing these things it says is evil, then you are effectively saying I hate you God. That is a very dangerous place to be considering that you are basically spitting in the face of God, something that will not go unpunished. And again, you are living in the wrath of God to come. This is something that it's funny when they say, well, you know, we're not hurting anyone. We're not, we're not, uh, you know, since it's not harming anyone, why would you have a problem with it? Well, it, it, they, they say you should just, you should just love us. Well, I can't think of anything more unloving than to see someone who is standing in the middle of the railroad tracks with a freight train coming right at him, refusing to move and just saying, all right, you can stay there. That's fine. Is that at all loving? I can't possibly imagine it. In fact, them standing in the very you know, path of God's wrath, it would, it's, it would be, it's the epitome of hatred to just say, sure, you can do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. All you need is love. Well, that, that phrase is commonly used as, a, as an argument against those who say that homosexuality is wrong. Well, and it's a very poorly framed argument because then you have people who are living in the wrath of God. Now, naturally, the 
the, the, the idol of the day is naturalism. The idol of the day is atheism. Even in those who claim to be Christians, there are still some that live as non-Christians. They don't adhere to the Word of God. They don't adhere. They're just sort of, sort of whoosh, kind of mushy theists. But that in and of itself, of course, is a difficult place to be. It doesn't adhere to the Bible at all, and it is highly problematic in and of itself. Nevertheless, when we are viewing those who are outside of the will of God, so clearly defined in the Bible, it is the epitome of hatred to say, sure, do whatever you want. No, no, we cannot do such a thing. It would be horrible. And there are other reasons why it is um, sort of more pragmatic reasons. I think that's the most visceral reason, the most like in your face, like seriously, you can't just let someone die. We have to proclaim the good news. And part of the good news includes, after we're saved, it includes repenting of your sins and saying, no, I can't live in the sin anymore because we love the Heavenly Father. So that does not exclude homosexuality. As we have seen, homosexuality is an abomination to God. And we can't just live in it then. Then we would be saying, I don't love God. So there are a number of other objections here, and I won't be able to get into today, but they're minor, and they're really not that big of a deal if we really consider the fact that the Bible clearly, as we have seen in the previous episodes, clearly condemns homosexuality. There's really no way to get around it. So in the next episode, I'm going to be covering a kind of a diatribe written by a professor, kind of surprising in, in some way because of how poor poorly it's written and the thinking is not that is is not that well thought out but nevertheless the thinking coheres with a lot of the way that you you've, you know the the thinking that you see in those who are trying to marry homosexuality in the bible and those out in the streets so we'll go ahead and join me for that in the future and that's that's all I have for you today. Make sure to check out our website, divedeep.net, for more content, including blog posts, book reviews, and video content. If you like this podcast, help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes and Google Play. Also, check out our main episodes of Dive Deep on the podcast feed and stream live on Facebook every other Thursday night at 7 p.m. That's at facebook.com slash divedeeppodcast. We hope to see you there. Soli Deo Gloria.